0: The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. Today we're so lucky to have returning to us Dr. Marcia Brown, the clinical and forensic psychologist. Marsha, welcome. Thank you.
1: It's great to be here.
0: You're a member of the Broward County Sheriff's Crisis Management Teaching Team. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yes. So uh, the Broward Sheriff's Office has something called a Crisis Intervention Team. Uh, where they basically teach law enforcement officers in Broward County. So it doesn't have to be a BSO officer, but it can be any law enforcement officer in the county. Uh, And they basically teach the officers how to interact with a person who is having some kind of uh, mental health or psychiatric crisis. And so I am on um, uh, the teaching facility for that. And what I do with my part is I present on adult mental health, Uh, So basically, it's the idea of teaching officers um, how to recognize symptoms of mental illness. So when you're interacting with a person and they're doing certain things or they're displaying certain behaviors, it should be kind of an indication that something is going on in terms of mental health with this person.
0: And that takes up a good portion of your time, I would imagine.
1: That particular part of it, I, I actually don't, um, I teach that uh, every, whenever they need me, whatever the case may be, but it's about a one and a half hour uh, presentation that I do. Now, I also teach outside of BSO, and those are in my general seminars, and those take up more of my time.
0: What are some of the biggest challenges that law enforcement face in dealing with, with a mental health crisis, would you say?
1: Uh, From the feedback that I've gotten with the officers I work with, it's the idea of keeping people safe, keeping themselves safe. So if someone is behaving in a way that it's clear that something's not quite right, so they're having some kind of mental health issue, they're in some sort of psychiatric crisis, it's very difficult for them in the moment to know whether or not the person is, presents some kind of physical danger and how the officer is able to keep him or her safe, he, uh, him or herself safe, as well as keep the people around safe, as well as interacting appropriately with the person who needs help. And that seems to be the biggest challenge because it's a, it's a you know, they, they often say it's a split second decision in these, in these situations to keep everybody safe and make sure it doesn't escalate and get out of control.
0: What advice would you have for John Q. Public who might be dealing with a family member or a friend who's not quite right, not, something's a little bit off? What advice do you give them? Well,
1: I'd like to, if I may, break that down into two separate scenarios. So if you have a family member, for example, that you know has had some uh, struggles with mental illness in the past um then knowing what those symptoms are and if you're starting to see those symptoms trying to figure out if they've been taking their medication, find out when the last time that they went to the doctor was, whatever the case may be. But also, it's helpful to have a plan. If you have a family member who struggles with mental illness, so a plan for, um, you know, when they're well, having a plan for, okay, well, these are some of the things that happen when I'm not feeling well. I might say this, or I might do this, or whatever the case may be. And developing the plan with them, so that they're part of that plan in terms of, knowing who to contact. So do they have a psychologist? Do they have a psychiatrist? Do they have some kind of therapist that the family can together contact that person and say, you know, um, whoever it might be, Sarah's not doing great right now, so let's figure out, you know, what we need to do to bring her in to make sure that she gets her medication or if she needs to go into the hospital, making sure she gets into the hospital. Now if we're talking about John Q public and there's some like friend that you know that seems to be a little bit off, um, I would say find some sort of opportunity depending on how good of a friend it is, but to talk to the person and to see if they're if they're doing okay, asking them, "How are you? What's going on?" That sort of thing. Um, you know some people think that if you just kind of ignore it, it might go away. But I would say don't do that because you never know just a a quick question of how are you, what's going on, do you need anything, I'm here to listen, can really make a huge difference in a person who's struggling with their mental health, can make a huge difference for them.
0: And what is a good crisis line for people to call, should they be having themselves or someone close to them, a type of mental health crisis?
1: Um, Well, there are a couple of lines. If we're talking about mental health crisis in terms of uh, suicidality, so if they're feeling like very depressed and they're not sure that they want to be around anymore and they are thinking of ways to hurt themselves or anything like that, um, I would say the uh, National Suicide Lifeline uh, is helpful for people to go to. Um, I would say if it's something something else that's going on uh, just going to your local um (coughs) pardon me because it depends on where you are um, but just going to your local mental health center whatever that may be Um, in most cities they have something like we have here in Broward County it's 211 and if you call them they can get you to absolutely any resource you could ever imagine so finding whatever that hotline is in your area. Some places it's 411. Some places it's a little bit different no matter where you are. So I would say um, finding out what that number is during times that you're well so that you just have it on hand when you're not doing so well.
0: What effect does the mental health stigma have when it comes to law enforcement and the justice system?
1: In terms of when they're Interacting with people who have mental illness.
0: Yeah. In other words, like if I go before a judge and uh, they say I have X, you know, pick a pick a diagnosis. Um, how does that stigma affect, say, the judge and the handling in the court and so forth? Or you, if you'd like, if it's better, back up a bit and just tell us about the justice system and mental health. As it exists today,
1: yes, that's a really good question. So there is huge stigma attached to mental illness and having a mental illness. Um, and so uh, we know that there there are a couple things in play in terms of mental illness um, there's there aren't as many resources as there is demand for mental health treatment, okay? Um, And so people who have a mental illness are much likelier to encounter the police before they actually get help in the community or go into a hospital. And so what ends up happening is the police are the front line and they're basically running into people who have, who are struggling with mental health issues, who have a mental illness, all over the place. And so they're more likely to be arrested because of some behavior that is caused or exacerbated by their mental illness. And so a lot of times people don't understand what's going on. So if they're meeting, as you said, John Q. Public in the middle of the street, and they're doing something that they're doing because they're mentally ill, but it's making other people uncomfortable, those people are likely to call the police. And then when the police show up, the police may or may not understand how to interact with them. But they may be, instead of taken to a hospital, they might be arrested and put into jail. So there's that. stigma has a lot to do with it because um, people don't really understand mental illness. A lot of people in the general public don't understand mental illness. They don't understand what it looks like and they're very um, sort of afraid of what people are doing when they have a mental illness. So there's that part of it that has to do with stigma. Um, Once they get, once they come into contact with the police, depending on how much the police know about interacting with a person with mental illness, depending on the situation, The police may or may not understand, they may or may not handle the situation in a way that is helpful for the person who is struggling with their mental illness. Um, And then once you get into court, um, a lot of places have mental health courts. So they have judges who are, they have judges and assistant state attorneys and assistant public defenders and other attorneys who are trained in mental health and mental illness and recognizing what's going on, and we have amazing judges here in Broward County who understand that and who are part of mental health court, and so they understand some of the challenges that people have when they struggle with a mental illness and they come in contact with the legal system. So they're able to, you know, instead of being punished, they can go and have treatment. They can be put in a program. They can take the steps to get the treatment they need so that they can be reintegrated into the community and not have to spend a ton of time in jail when treatment is what they need as opposed to punishment.
0: Now let's take that a step further because by virtue of what you just said about the system, now let's go into a place that you visit sometimes to try to be of help. Let's go into the prison population now. Now, it sounds like it's going to be mental health on steroids in there. Inside the jail? Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that the prisoners themselves, um, a larger percentage, and correct me if I'm wrong, I would I would guess, based on what you said, that... Um, a larger percentage of the population within the prisons themselves have significant mental health issues. Is that that what you found or no?
1: Yes. Yes. And that's what the research tells us as well, is that there is um, people with mental illness are uh, overrepresented in the jail and prison populations. Um, So a large proportion of people who... um, Uh, go in have had some kind of mental illness in their lifetimes, and then a large proportion of them also are experiencing um, either recent or current mental health symptoms as well. Um, And then, so yes, you have a lot of people who have mental health issues who are in the jails and prisons.
0: And let's talk about in your experience, if you would, the intersection of mental health issues. With neurodiversity, such as autism, Alzheimer's, and various neurological and developmental uh, entities.
1: Yes. Do you mean kind of the co occurrence of yes. the disorders? Yes. Um, so something that, um, that, you talked about is a little bit about people who are on the autism spectrum. So with a lot of the, I see that a lot in some of the kids that I work with who are on the spectrum, but they also have things like ADHD, um, which it's very highly uh, co-occurring. Sometimes they have a lot of, they have other disorders as well, whether that has to do with conduct, whether that has to do with um, like mood symptoms or whatever the case may be. So there's a great deal of overlap between the The neurodiverse and people who are struggling with mental illness.
0: Um, We interviewed uh, William Packard, who uh, wrote a book on neurodiversity in the prison system. And uh, very interesting that uh, not only the inmates, but many of the corrections officers themselves who get attracted to that kind of work have both mental health and some some degree of neurodiversity issues. So
1: in the in the jails and prisons, um, just having not only the inmates but also the corrections officers that have all sorts of that can sometimes struggle with mental illness. Um, I would say, I'm you know that makes sense. I'm not at all um, surprised by that for a couple reasons. Um, one because you know jails and prisons are not great places to care for one's mental health. Um, not for the people who are being t- detained there, or for the people who are officers there. Um, it's just such a place that has so much stress for everybody who's, who's, who's in there. Um, and it's just a place where there are, you know, there are specific rules and regulations that you have to follow. Um, you're constantly dealing with people who have great mental health issues, as we talked about. they're overrepresented in the jail population. Um, for the officers, you know, their biggest concern is just making sure that everybody's safe, and it's more about it's more about detaining and behavioral control. But for some people who end up in there, like the people who have severe mental illness, behavioral control is not what they need. They need treatment. They need somebody to come in. They need proper medication. They need to have therapy. They need to have a bunch of other things. And I think that what ends up happening is it it ends up being an us versus them mentality, which is really stressful for everybody involved. Um, And I think that, especially for corrections officers, There's not a great focus on mental health care, and if they're not feeling well or they're feeling depressed or they're feeling anxious or whatever the case may be, that's not something that generally they can just go to their supervisor and say, hey, listen, I need a couple hours. I'm feeling a little bit nervous. I'm not sure why or I'm feeling depressed or whatever the case may be. A lot of people don't feel comfortable because they don't have safe places to say, I'm not doing well mentally. I'm depressed or I'm stressed out or I'm overwhelmed or I'm really anxious or whatever the case may be. That's not part of the vocabulary and that's not part of the discussion. I think that we should talk about the mental health of corrections officers because that is a very, very high stakes, highly stressful job. And I think when you put people who, you know, have all of these, all these expectations, all of these sort of things that they need to do in with a bunch of people who are not behaving the way that they're told, not necessarily because they you know, don't feel like it, but because they're unable to because of their mental illness. Those two things don't really go well together.
0: What are some of the tips and tools you give to law enforcement as to how to recognize mental health issues?
1: That's a really good question. Um, So uh, for one of them is the way that a person approaches you. So for example, um, if they are talking really fast, if they're speaking so fast that you can't understand what they're saying, or maybe they're talking fast, but they're also switching topics constantly and you can't really make sense of what they're saying, that may be a sign that they could be manic okay Um, or for example if they are um, saying things that don't really make sense and seem a little bit off um, if they say something involving um, like if someone is following them or the government is keeping track of them or if somebody's implanted a chip on their brain or anything like that sometimes obviously those things happen well if they're talking about the government and the chip, especially that is that tends to be a sign of mental illness and not really what's going on. But if they're talking about somebody following them, then maybe you just have to get more information. Um, if someone is really like sad and depressed and crying and they seem you know despondent, that is also a sign. So just little things when people are interacting with you and maybe they're not able to make eye contact, maybe they're not able to be understood, whatever the case may be, just understanding that there could be something going on in terms of um, a mental illness or a mental health crisis.
0: And that goes along also with, uh, remember when I was out in San Francisco, the police there did a educational video in conjunction with the autism people so that, for instance, uh, They had an autistic young man uh, looking down and saying, uh, the reason I'm not looking in the eye is not because I've stolen something or I'm being disrespectful. I have autism and I just can't look in the eye and kind of thing. So again, you get to that intersection of, Right. Neurodiversity with mental health issues.
1: Absolutely and being able to recognize when that's going on as opposed to you know, I think that sometimes the idea is that if a person is not complying with orders Then they need to be forced to comply Well, there are some people that aren't able to do so not because of you know, just sheer Willfulness, but because they have certain challenges um, And I think that I think that um for some law enforcement, they are, they can be they are trained in terms of, for example, coming into contact with either uh, children or adolescents or adults who are on the spectrum and understanding that um, you know the spectrum is quite long and that different people have different abilities and different challenges. And I think that's actually a good point because I think that we could also do more to just sort of educate people on on that, especially with law enforcement.
0: How can people learn more about you and what you do?
1: Uh, you can go to drmarshabrown.com. That's my, that's my uh, website. Or you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram. It's uh, at Dr. Marcia brown.
0: Well, Dr. Marsha Brown, thanks for being here again. It's been a pleasure to have you here at another episode of Exploring Different Brains. We hope you'll come back yet again.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: In different Brains is a production of Different Brains, Inc. For more information, visit us at DifferentBrains.org.